It's time. John Gruden's our guest, head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. JT the Brick, great talking to you. Hope you're well, man. It's time. Well, you know how we want to play, JT. You know me probably better than anybody out there. It's time for the JT the Brick Show. We're going to play old school football. JT the Brick on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Can't wait to play in that stadium and get this party started. You got no idea. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m., brought to you by Grimaldi's, where I was there last night in Boca Park. Uh, The Grimaldi $50 gift cards. Just go order your pizza. I got the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, Bring it home with the amazing salads they have. The uh, salads, the Caprese salad, you can get that to go. They're best Caesar in town. The service is amazing. Grimaldi's, five locations. It's the best pizza I've ever had, and I'm from New York, and I know a lot of people in this town say, I got great pizza. Yeah, I know. You got great pizza. I get it. it. Grimaldi's has better pizza. Most people will say that. The majority of people will say that. That's why they've been with me my entire time in Vegas. Grimaldi's. The best pizza I've ever had. There's one right by you. Five locations in the Valley. Vince Sapiens in a few minutes on the Golden Knights game tonight. Look, it feels like summer out here all the time once it gets to April, May, June. Then in July and August, we bake like potatoes. We should all leave unless we have to, if we have to work. You know, every year I tell my wife, why are we here? Why are we not on vacation in July and August? Why am I in my backyard at 114 degrees? And it's because the kids, my kids are in high school playing football, sports, we could never leave. I'm telling you, now tonight is a summer night in this town. Get out of the house, get to one of the watch parties, and go watch the Golden Knights. Watch the Golden Knights in public at PT's, 60-plus locations. Get out. Red Rock's having a viewing party tonight. Wherever you go, get your friends, put your T-shirts on, get out and support this team. It's a massive game tonight. And if they win... It's just another game. It's just another game. If they don't win, then it comes to a do-or-die game back at the Fortress on Friday night, and I don't want to see them in that situation. I'm not that confident with the injuries that they have and what's been going on as of late that they can win that game. Tonight's the night they have to put them down. Raiders hit the field for OTAs the last couple of days. If you're following any of the Raider insiders, Vinny Bonsignor, who's our teammate here, will be on the radio coming up here at 4 o'clock. I'm sure he'll have a full reaction to what happened earlier today. A lot of information out there. I just wanted to read this quickly before our guest. Vic Tafer tweeted, Cleland Farrell said the biggest change under Gus Bradley so far has been, quote, he wants to take a lot of the thinking out. His defense is built on guys making plays and getting turnovers. A lot of responsibility for the guys up front to fill the lanes. It's exactly what we've been hearing. No thinking. Get to the football. Do your job. Play with aggression. Turn the football over, and you're not going to be held down every day in study sessions like you're taking your master's thesis. Just go play football again. Really important here that the new players understand Gus Bradley over in Henderson at OTAs. He does a great job covering the Raiders, the Golden Knights, UNLV, everything, and so much so that he's in Minneapolis for this big game six tonight, Vic, uh, Vince Sapienza from Fox 5. Vince, good to talk to you, my friend. Big one. I'm happy you're on the road to paint a picture for the atmosphere as you were at early skate today. How are you? Oh, great to hear from you, JT. I'm doing well. You know, it's so interesting. We're talking about atmosphere. And, uh, you know, the the downtown St. Paul right now, there's a lot of excitement going around, a lot of, a lot of green, a lot of Minnesota wild colors going on. 
But it's going to be interesting when we get into the arena tonight. The atmosphere is going to be nothing in comparison to what we saw Monday night. 12,000-plus at the Fortress, and we're going to be capped at 4,500 inside the XL Energy Center. So it's going to be interesting to see how the teams are able to feed off the energy or lack of energy in, in a game six that the stakes are once again at their highest. I think that's a big advantage for the Golden Knights not to go into a packed house in Minneapolis. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this because, you know, you don't know the local politics there as much. But are you surprised by that, that ownership and the city couldn't get 10,000, 12,000? That's a diehard hockey city. That's a hockey part of this country. Aren't you amazed that there's not eight to 10,000 people in their building? Yeah, it, it is amazing, and it truly is disappointing because just talking with uh, the members of the Minnesota Wild organization, you can sense there's a, a real desper- desperation and disappointment to try and get fans in the stands, especially for a pivotal game six like this. But I think you're absolutely right. The Golden Knights this feeds so well into favoring them. And, and we've seen just in the last two games, in games three and games four, the Golden Knights have been able to find a lot of success in in Minnesota, obviously not the case in the first three seasons of their franchise, but I think taking not having a crowd, if you will, and having just the typing crowd music compared to what we saw on Monday night is only going to help the Golden Knights in terms of being able to take away their optimism, as uh, Matias Yanmark said this morning, and, and destroying their will early by taking them out of the game. Vince Sapienza joins us, Fox 5. He is in Minneapolis for Game 6 tonight. Golden Knights taking on the Wild. So you were at Morning Skate, and, and this team is injured. Pacioretty, I, you know, Pacioretty's one of the best players on the team. They can't get him healthy, and I know they're very guarded with their information. Alex Martinez is fighting through it all the time to get out there. I can understand why he wouldn't or would be at a Morning Skate. And then the rest of this team that is nursing injuries and who is fresh, how concerned are you with this team and the healthy bodies that they're going to have tonight? Well, you know, I think we're at the point with the Max Pacioretty situation that, that we're so far along in the series that the Golden Knights have proven, despite not having their leading goal scorer on the team, they can still beat this team in advance of the second round of the playoffs. I think that is a good sign. Obviously, a Max Pacioretty in your lineup makes you better. Uh, Pete DeBoer did give us a little more to chew on this morning, saying that Max is skating. However, he's skating on his own. Now, how long he's been doing that? How, how the duration of his skates, we don't know. But the fact that he is skating, I guess, is a good sign. He wasn't on the ice this morning. Tomas Nozick, Braden McNabb, Alec Martinez, as you mentioned, not on the ice this morning. Alec Martinez hasn't, hasn't, hasn't been on the ice for a morning skate probably for the past three or four weeks. But we're not really necessarily worried about him. He takes as much puck as Marc-Andre Fleury, if we're being honest. He's the league leader in block shots, so... He can take a rest. Braden McNabb is obviously dealing with something. He missed game four, was back in game five, didn't play a whole ton of minutes, but he wasn't on the ice. That's something to look for also tonight. But I I think in terms of this series, uh, in a microscope, looking at this, you're not necessarily worried about Max Pacioretty getting into game six or even game seven because, again, the Golden Knights outscored Minnesota 9-2 to in games three and four in the XL Energy Center. So you know it can be done. They get depth scoring, and that's, this is the time of year you need it. But if you're you know, looking at this from a larger standpoint and you want the Golden Knights and expect the Golden Knights to make a deep run, 
and have a shot to battle Colorado in the second round, you need a healthy Max Patcher ready. You need those goals because that's going to be a shootout if we look that far down the road. Vince Sapienza joins us. So what do you think about the goalie rotation? I always thought when we talked and we're at games together that the strength of this team was to rotate the goalies so they'd be fresher in the playoffs. And every other team that doesn't have two goaltenders, the Knights would have an advantage. But when a guy like Fleury gets so hot, you got to ride him, especially if you're DeBoer and you want to keep your job and not lose in the first round. So here we go again. Is it Robin Leonard? And I know Marc-Andre Fleury will probably play tonight here, but how big of a storyline is this in Minneapolis tonight with the Wild fans? You know, I don't think it's it's that big of a storyline, to be honest with you, on the whole. I mean, Pete DeBoer has been very consistent. You go back to the bubble last year, even when there was a ton of controversy surrounding these two goalies, Pete DeBoer was very consistent. He was going to ride the hot hand. In his opinion, Robin Leonard was the better of the two goalies, and he rode them until the Golden Knights were eliminated. He's doing the same here with Marc-Andre Fleury. Fleury is giving Pete DeBoer no reason to take him out. And even if you look back at game five, one goal, the first goal, you, you could say that's not Fleury's fault. The second, you know, you question it. The third goal, absolutely. So he had a, he had a very un-Fleury-like first period, and then he shut it down, obviously, the rest of the way. I don't know how you don't go back to Marc-Andre Fleury. Tonight, he has a read on this team. He has a read on the Minnesota Wild. He knows what they like, what they don't like. And with a Minnesota Wild team that is as fast as they are and as heavy as they are and as destructive as they are in the crease, you need a a goaltender like Flurry that can be spontaneous, that can think on his feet, be flexible in a way that Robin Leonard just simply is not. So you need somebody to be able to make those insanely flexible creative, sprawling saves, and that's what we've seen in Marc-Andre Fleury in the first five games, and he's done it time and time again. I don't know how you don't go back to him tonight. I don't think game five was something more to come. I think it was more of an anomaly, if anything. However, I do think the goaltenders are having some fun with us, JT, because this morning, the first goalie is always the one who's projected to start, but uh, Fleury and Robin Leonard decided to have a little conversation before they left the ice. And they left the ice pretty much simultaneously with Flurry taking the lead. So I think they're just doing something to uh, <laughs> create, a little, yeah. create a little bit more thinking for some of us in the media here. Wrapping it up with Vince Sapienza. He's in Minneapolis for game six. Kind enough to join us. Massive story in Vegas tonight as the Golden Knights can eliminate the Wild from the playoffs and get it going. You know, Vince, it's never easy for this team. The four-minute major up at San Jose. This is a team that we're very spoiled with. Let's play deep into the playoffs as an expansion team, an inaugural expansion team. So we're used to big success with this team, but the losses in the postseason are super dramatic. And this is becoming a really bizarre habit not to be able to close out series at home. What's it like? You're in the building for every game. You're in the locker room or you're around the locker room after these games. How frustrated is the organization and players when they can't close out a series at home and they got to head to the airport the next day and get on a plane again. Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily frustration as much as it is disappointment. They want to pay back, you know, all the medieval maniacs that go nuts and, and cheer them on and things like that. But the truth of the matter is, JT, this team is very comfortable on the road. This is one of the most yeah. comfortable teams we, we've ever seen. Five playoff series, all of them clinched on the road. There's something about a lack of – they feel less pressure on the road 
than they do in their own building because they're trying to pay back the fans in such a big way and put on this big show that they become used to during the regular season. However, when they're on the road, especially in an in atmosphere like we're going to see tonight with only 4,500 fans, it goes back to that bubble play we saw last summer. The Golden Knights feel very at ease with that. So uh, this is a place they're very comfortable with. I asked Pete DeBoer about, about it yesterday. And obviously you look at this group and all the Stanley Cups and all the playoff uh, deep runs that this group, whether with the Golden Knights or different teams have gone through, they're very comfortable with different different venues and things like that. And Pete talked about it again today. It doesn't matter if it's Vegas or Minnesota. It's a matter about a fast start tonight is going to be the true difference. So it's going to be interesting to see who manages the energy well, who doesn't, and who's able to uh, react when the other person lays the big heavy hit uh, early on in the game. Well, I look forward to seeing you when you get back to town. Thanks for making time. I hope it's not in the press box Friday in a must-win game. <laughs> I hope it's over there and you get a, a nice meal, a nice easy travel home for a good weekend heading into Memorial Day. Thanks for doing this, buddy. Thanks, JT. Vince Sapienza, Fox 5. Really cool that we can talk to him. That's what sports radio stations do, man, the good ones. We cover all the sports stories, and the big one tonight is the Golden Knights in an elimination game. Everybody in town should be talking about it. If you got an opinion on the game, what needs to happen? Do you got a good feel for this game? Do you feel confident? Because this town isn't good when they lose confidence in Vegas Golden Knights. This is a game that they need to have. The pressure will be, will be enormous if Vegas doesn't win this game. If they got to come back home ice game seven, which thank God you got it at home, the pressure would be enormous on Peter DeBoer and that team. Jobs would be on the line, unfortunately. Jobs would be on the line. They win tonight. You get a couple of days off. You get ready for Colorado. And again, I'm personally more confident against Colorado than I am against the Wild. Kasparov and some of these players and how they can get open and they're fast and they start early. I think the key for the game tonight for VGK, they got to start fast. They got to get that opening goal. There's not, big, there's not a big crowd, as Vince said, only 4,500 fans. they got to score quick and take the little crowd out of the game and play with the lead and get Flurry the protection he needs on rebounds. Really, the Achilles heel for this franchise has been not clearing the crease. That when there's a shot on goal, there's too many guys in the crease who aren't getting laid out and, and pushed to the ground and moved out of the crease. Ryan Reeves tonight, Shea Theodore, Alec Martinez, White Cloud, whoever's there, have got to be physical early and really send a physical message to the Minnesota Wild. And they're good. The Wild's just one of those teams you don't want to play. They just have the number of VGK. And hopefully they don't in Game 6, and we're not talking about Game 7. I want to have a nice weekend heading into Memorial Day. Also, as Bobby reminds you, Memorial Day is my 25-year anniversary on the radio to the day. Uh, Bobby says we're going to do something on the show tomorrow, on Thursday, in advance, because I won't be on locally Monday. Monday I'll be hosting my national show on Sirius XM from 6 to 9 a.m. Memorial Day on the actual 25-year anniversary of me being on the radio. I'm not big on anniversaries, but I'm big on radio anniversaries because it's tough to stay on the radio with many of the scoundrels that are in this business and some of the things I've been through, and I've been lucky to be on uninterrupted all this time. And a lot of that has to do with the Raiders and having the platform with the Raider Nation, which has always been a big part of my show. Actually, I do so, have to tell you one thing. 
Yes. Memorial Day in 1996 was on May 27th, just so you know. Oh, really? Yep, just really? Googled so it. You went, you went back to the 1996 calendar? I actually just Googled it. May 27th. Do you know the first show we ever did, we were doing, was it fair? I'm saying it was midnight to 5 a.m.? About that, yeah. Yeah, it was midnight to 5 a.m. How insane. That shift was one of my favorite shifts because we were on everywhere. So the problem when you're on at midnight Pacific, which is 3 a.m. East Coast, is you got to keep your body up. But the good part was is that we led into morning drive in Boston on EEI. We led into morning drive in Miami on QAM. We were on KMBR in San Francisco. So the first shows we ever did, Bobby, we were on everywhere. And – there's a good story behind that because I think what was the story the first week? The first week I'm doing shows because I was a former stockbroker, so I was pretty mm-hmm. buttoned up with business. And we're doing those shows, and I came in one day, and I got our affiliate list. And we were on 100 radio stations. And back then, they were real radio stations, not like they are now where there's like 13 a.m. stations in a market and one might consider itself sports. We were on the big boys. And I started reaching out. Remember when I was calling the program directors? Oh, yes. Thanking them for picking up my show. We got so much crap for that, too. They hated yeah, I, when I we could, did that. I could tell the story now in case someone's listening on the Raiders app. So the program director, who was a very good program director in San Francisco, Bob Agnew. Bob Agnew. I called him to say, hey, Bob, JT, I'm your new overnight guy. Just want to say thanks for having me on, blah, blah, blah. I couldn't have, I couldn't have gotten a call off better. I because I, I'm again I was a stockbroker dealing with some clients that had a million dollars with me, a couple hundred grand. I knew how to talk to executives, so I called the program director at KMBR. True story. I say, hey Bob, I want to introduce myself. He thought I was out of my mind. He's like, why are you calling me? Oh yeah. I'm like, I'm calling, I'm calling you to introduce myself. He hung up the phone. He called Charlie Barker, who was our program director. Charlie called me into the office and said, don't ever do that again. And I go, what I do? He goes, don't ever call anybody and introduce yourself. I go, really? I go, I thought that was the right thing to do. Which, goes, no, which, no, 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 don't ever do that. Just do radio. Which we thought was crazy because we literally. I still we, thought we it called, was crazy. We called everybody. We called the J- Jason in Boston. We called the guy in DFN. Jason that, Wolf. Yeah, we did. We called the guy in DFN, Greg, whatever his name was. We yeah, had San we Antonio. We called Greg all those Henson. people. Yeah. That's how, and, and, and then in my book, The Handoff, the biggest, the biggest story early in my career was when Andrew Ashwood, who turned out to be my boss and my mentor in radio, he sent me his playbook, which was a really big, thick binder. It looked like an NFL playbook because he heard me in the middle of the night in San Antonio. And he called, called the show, and Bobby put him on hold, and he talked to me, and he said, hey, man, I like your energy. I like what you're doing. I'm going to send you my playbook. Call me when you're done with it. So he probably thought it was going to take me two weeks. I finished it the next day. Next day, I read the book. It took me all night to read it after I got off, and I called him back, and he said, did you get the playbook? I said, no, I got it, and I read it. He goes, holy crap, how'd you read it that quick? I said, well, I mean, I'm up. I read it after the show, and that turned out to be one of the biggest and most important decisions and friendships I ever made in my life. And you can see that story in my book, The Handoff, that's still available at Amazon.com. And that started the relationship. And we're going to touch on a little bit of that tomorrow also. We're going to do the entire history of JT the Brick on the radio, all the way from La Jolla, California, all the way to Uh Raider Nation Radio. Well, you haven't brought any of this to my attention, so that'll be tomorrow. 
That'll be interesting. Hopefully, I'm not talking. I'm listening to a lot. No, of no, 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 no. I'm going to do the host stuff. We're going to have the guests, and you're just going to sit there like a, like the Good. man, like the man of the hour, and just talk to the guests and listen to the sound clips. And I know I'm going to blow your mind at least once. Ooh, a blow your mind audio. I've I like I found some stuff that I didn't even know existed until I started doing this. Oh no. Oh no. Hopefully. Uh... Okay, I'll leave it at that. We'll 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 do that tomorrow. Uh, we're, we're trying to get your opinions. I'll read some of the tweets, which are great. On the other side, I'd like to take a f- couple of phone calls before Bill Williamson joins us, Raider Insider. He's going to join us here in about 15, 20 minutes. Uh, we were supposed to have Kevin Ioli on today to talk boxing, but he had a meeting with Dana White with UFC. So Kevin is going to try to join us before the end of the week. But we want to get you up here, 702-365-9200. When we come back, we want to hear your calls on the biggest position battle. The one player, be specific, that has to worry about his job. Not going to get cut, but he might get benched because he gets beat out in the preseason. Who's that one player that should be most concerned? And your tweets at JT the Brick, 702-365-9200. JT brought to you by our great friends at Modelo with the fighting spirit. Every Friday, I have a bucket of Modellos, and I cheer on the Raider Nation. I'll just say this. you know, First of all, I'm not going to get into contract specifics, but Aaron's our guy. Um, he's going to be our quarterback for the foreseeable future. We're excited about, you know, kind of the things we're going to try to accomplish here over the next couple of years. So um, we certainly think that, um, you know, with the contract that you're kind of talking about is something we'll work through. We're going to have to do probably a few things with different contracts as we as we head towards the season and through the season to make sure that our salary cap situation, not only this year, uh, but in 2022 um, is square. So um, we're not done yet. We've done a lot to get here. Uh, we've kind of been doing things as we go, and we will continue to do that as we go. Aaron definitely knows how we feel about him, how he's such an important part to our football team, such an important part to our organization. And, you know, we're just going to continue to try to work through this and hopefully can get him back in the building at some point. So head coach of the GM of the Green Bay Packers is Aaron Rodgers' pictures on vacation in Hawaii are being posted. And they're pretty incredible. First off, he had a cleanse, so he's lost 15 pounds. He's shredded. He's shredded in Hawaii. So I don't know what he's doing, but whatever he's doing, he's on vacation. And today it was announced that Aaron Rodgers and Bryson DeChambeau will go up against Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady and TNT's golf special. And that'll be in Montana on July 6th. So the reason that's a big story is that Aaron Rodgers is not going to do anything until after he plays golf on July 6th because he's playing in a really pressured pack event that's going to be broadcast on TNT that he wants to look good at. If you remember when Tom Brady went up against Peyton Manning with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady really struggled. He holed out from the fairway, but you could tell the nerves really got to Brady. It was tough. When, he, when Brady was by himself on the tee box, Having to hit the ball, that pressure affected him more than a Super Bowl. Super Bowl, he's phenomenal. And it's going to do the same thing to Aaron Rodgers when he's playing on this made-for-TV event. It's going to be watched by millions. So if I'm Aaron Rodgers, he's in Hawaii now. He's not going back to Green Bay for OTAs. 
But then he's not going to do anything other than golf because the golf is enormous. He's golfing with Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady, and Bryson DeChambeau. He's not going to golf three days a week. He's going to golf seven days a week up until the competition on July 6th. And when that happens, then uh, then Rodgers is going to be in July, and we're going to be talking about preseason games coming up in August. So what is going on with this scenario? And I bring this up because the Raiders are one of the only teams that are mentioned that could do a deal because presumably people think that Aaron Rodgers wants to play out West. So if you buy into that part of the conspiracy theory, it's not a conspiracy theory that he's leaving. Everybody thinks he's going to leave. The conspiracy theory is, where is he going to leave? And he's going to go west. He's not going east. He's not going to Washington. He doesn't want to play on the east coast. He wants to be with his fiancée, soon-to-be wife, out west. So there's no opening with the Chargers, with Justin Herbert. There's no opening with the Rams, with Matthew Stafford. And there's presumably not an opening in San Francisco with Garoppolo, who looked pretty good showing up to camp, and Trey Lance, who's the quarterback of the future. And then you go west and you run into Vegas. Excuse me, as you go from California east, it doesn't look like he's going to Arizona. They got Kyler Murray, which actually Arizona would be a good fit, but Kyler Murray's their franchise quarterback. The Raiders have Derek Carr, who all of his guaranteed money's been paid, and then it's Denver. And Denver has the biggest opening because Denver has the ability to do it. They have the assets to move, and they have an opening at quarterback because they clearly are not confident with Drew Locke and Drew Locke getting the job done. So I threw it out earlier in the show on Twitter. I'm getting better response on Twitter than on the phones. If you want to get in on what do you think the biggest position battle is for the Raiders that are at OTAs and they broke practice today and several players spoke to the media. Kay says, there says, JT, biggest battle is safety. Are the vets getting better? Are the rookies happy to be there? Or do they have something to prove? This team gives up big plays, and we'll see more turnovers, hopefully. How are the players going to push themselves to be a top-five team? Position battles among players, it's got to start at safety. Uncle Jesse says, too, JT, we need some mean, a linebacker or a defensive lineman to put fear in opposing offenses and get inside their head. Well, I think that's why they brought in Yannick Ngakwe. Junior tweets in, at JT the Brick. Biggest position battle, JT, has to be the defensive backs. But let's not forget, we have to figure out who's going to be our wide receiver on third and long. I'm putting my money on Edwards. C. Dune tweets in, JT, competition at wide receiver and D-line. But the true position battle is clearly in the defensive backfield, both at corner and safety. Big battle between Hayward and Arnett. Let me stop there. There better not be a battle between Hayward and Arnett. Hayward's a two-time pro bowler, played under Gus Bradley. It's a two-time pro bowler, and he's got 30-plus interceptions. He's not battling Arnett. He's better than Arnett significantly. Now, if Hayward wasn't healthy or he completely lost a step, which we wouldn't know because we're not there to watch you know, the padded practices and what's happening, I don't, see, I don't agree with that at all. Mike Leeson says, cornerback, who's going to be the alpha in the room? That's fair. I think that Casey Hayward has got to be one of those guys who is more of an alpha because Gus wants him to be that way, but that's a fair question. Uh, Gary Kaiser tweets in, JT, when will we have a linebacker that can cover a tight end? Well, that's supposed to be Nick Kwiatkowski and Littleton. 
their speed and ability to run with tight ends was one of the reasons they were both brought in. And Morrow's done a nice job. There's good tape on Nicholas Morrow running, going backwards and defending plays. Better than I thought. And again, I can't wait to have Nicholas Morrow on or to see him in person. I didn't believe he was the guy. I'm happy when I'm proven wrong when it comes to personnel. He turned out to be a good player. And then uh, finally, Jab Slick says, JT, the biggest position battle has got to be our pass rush. Well, again, I, I disagree on that. I think that the pass rush is set with Yannick Ngakwe, and I think it's set overall when you look at Mad Max Crosby. Now Cleveland Farrell's got to prove that he's a great edge rusher, which I doubt happened in the offseason. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he got stronger and bigger, but I don't know. And if he moves into the interior side, I mean, look at, think of this if, they, if the Raiders line up, and they're going to have a lot of options on the defensive line. But if they line up with Jonathan Hankins at defensive tackle, Cleland Farrell or Solomon Thomas at defensive tackle, and then on the edge is Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe, and that's the front four, that's a pretty good front four because I know Max is getting better. Look at the tape, and I'm telling you, from knowing Max, Max is going to have a monster year. Max understands the chatter that's going on around him. He's going to have a big year this year. And I think a lot of teams around the league know he's coming. And Ngakwe is the guy who got all the money as the free agent. He's going to have to step up and play at a big-time level. And, you know, one last thing on these position battles when it gets to wide receiver, everybody's worried about who's one, two, or three. I don't worry about that because Waller's one. The number one receiver on the team is Darren Waller. He is a tight end who puts up wide receiver numbers. At that point in time, you have to start looking at the number two. Theoretically, the number two wide receiver should be Henry Ruggs because he was taken high in the first round to be the number one wide receiver. He has not proven that he can do that. Brian Edwards is someone else who is a risk-reward guy. Can he stay healthy? He wasn't healthy last year. Can he catch balls that are thrown right at him? Yeah, but can he be a breakout player and have that type of season? Seems like everybody's on the same page to get him going. And then Hunter Renfro. I think Hunter Renfro is a very unique player in the Raiders' system now in regards to what he has to do next. Because Renfro is a flashy player when he's in the middle of the field, when he's taking back punts or when he gets open and he takes the ball upfield. I really like what Hunter can do. I like how shifty he is and how he can get open quickly and he's got really good hands. But they have to make him more productive. He can't be there just to look at and say, hey, man, look, there's third and Renfro. Third down, and he makes two catches a game. No, 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 no. He's got to be great. they got to develop him the way the Patriots were able to develop Amendola and Julian Edelman. He came here to be that guy. The leading receiver last year was Darren Waller with 107 receptions. Hunter Renfro had 56. Nelson Aguilar had 48. Henry Ruggs had 26. Josh Jacobs had 33 receptions. Okay, so he had seven more than Henry Ruggs. Those numbers are going to go up. You know, Foster Moreau had seven receptions last year. I expect him to have over 20. So this number is going to change dramatically this year. And we're going to see guys having, and then you add in Kenyon Drake, who's another guy who should have over 20 receptions or more because Josh Jacobs had 33. And he averaged 7.2 a reception. But last year it was all Waller and Aguilar. 
It was a pretty good one-two punch. Between Waller and Aguilar, they had over 150-plus receptions and 2,000 yards and 17 touchdowns. Waller's coming back. Do you expect Waller to have another year of 107 receptions? It's a big number. I think he can do it. He almost had 1,200 yards. So if Waller can come back with more than, you know, 100 receptions, over 1,000 yards again, I'd like to see the touchdowns go from 9 to maybe 13, 14. But the number that jumps out to all of us is obvious, and that's Henry Ruggs III. He played 16 games and had only two touchdowns. No way that could happen again. He's on the clock. And he's healthy, and he's going to hopefully have a breakout year. Ruggs has got to have more than 43 total targets in 13 games. If not, then why was he brought in? That could have been CeeDee Lamb. That could have been Jerry Judy. It was Ruggs for a specific reason, for him to touch the ball behind the line of scrimmage on reverses, throwbacks, whatever it's going to be. So I'm hoping that this offensive playbook really opens up a little bit more, and Henry Ruggs is the beneficiary of that. If you agree with that, let me know, 702-365-9200. Bill Williamson on deck, fantastic insider. Looking forward to talking to him. We'll hear what he has to say as we're brought to you by Ijole, the award-winning tequila from Tequila, Mexico, proud partner of the Vegas Golden Knights and the Henderson Silver Knights. I have a brand-new tequila for your tasting portfolio. Once you try it, you're going to love it, and you're going to scream, Ijole, proud partner of our show. got so much respect appreciation what julio Jones, jones has done here for this franchise and what he's been to the city like i said earlier look we have conversations about our roster all the time there's things that happen you have to have contingency plans there's so many things that happen during the nfl season whether you're dealing with transactions you're dealing with injuries you gotta have multiple plans to go play a 17 game season and we we're trying to get the best guys on this roster that we have great competition going into camp did julio ask for a trade before the draft and not gonna count that my door is always open. My phone's always on. And there's a, a level of trust you, that we want to build here with the players. All the players know that. But again, on my end, we have private conversations. Those are private. And I'm going to keep it that way. Arthur Smith with the Falcons. JT, back with you. Is Julio Jones available? Absolutely. How expensive is the price? Uh, back here as we continue on Raider Nation Radio, California site producer for SB Nation. Been covering the Raiders for 25 straight seasons. A bi-weekly contributor, a bi-monthly contributor on our show when the season starts. I'm giving him a bit of a break because I want to keep him fresh during this big season. Our friend Bill Williamson joins us. How are you, Bill? JT, anytime. I'm here for you, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Appreciate it. Let's start with Julio Jones. He's available I think he'd walk in the building in Henderson as the number one receiver, Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame numbers, and I think he'd have a chip on his shoulder. How crazy of an idea would it be for the Raiders to try to find a way to get into that trade hunt? Yeah, I don't think it's crazy at all. I mean, I think that John Gruden is a guy who thinks about everybody and gets into everything. And, I, you know, I hate to bring up old wounds, but, you know, I, at one point, Antonio Brown was not a bad idea, right? I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of people were after him when his only problem was a, was a messy divorce from the Steelers. We really didn't know much about him other than that until 
things with the Raiders. So what I'm saying is, again, this is not to be snide. This is to be, you know, he, a really good receiver was available, and John Gruden went and got him. That didn't work out, but every every situation is different. So, yeah, I, I think there would be interest. I just don't know when you put down everything on paper, if it's the greatest fit, if, if it's the smartest thing for the Raiders to do. And, if, you know, because mm-hmm. of his age, 32, because he started getting some injuries last year, and we know how that goes with some older guys, that just kind of – that trend doesn't stop. And because he has a huge contract and because the Raiders are hoping some other receivers really blossom, who they have a lot invested into, you know, speaking first of Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards, I might pass on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's see what happens next year and maybe go after, a, you know, a, a big-time receiver if, that, if the possibility is there. But I think the Raiders owe it to themselves and their overall health of their roster. And I'm talking about – and. and and draft picks in the future. Just let's see if, if the young guys they got can take the next step first. That's just my opinion. Bill Williamson joins us, Raiders Insider. So with the Aaron Rodgers conversation, if this was two years ago when everybody was given car grief as the Raiders moved here and wondering, is this the time where you go after a new quarterback? That's completely calmed down. But Aaron Rodgers wants to go west, and everybody believes that the number one location is Denver, Denver's got the resources to do it in the opening at the quarterback position. Where have you been with the overall blockade theory, which I've talked about? I talked about it with Jeff Sherman from the Westgate, that even if the Raiders did not want to give up on Derek Carr, they have to consider it to block Aaron Rodgers from going to Denver. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty aggressive way to, uh, to run your business, isn't it? I mean, just for a guy who's going to be there four or five years, I just don't know if you give up that many draft picks for him just for that reason of almost spite, you know? I mm. mean, because they, they got a problem in Kansas City anyways. they got a problem in, in you know, with the Chargers anyways with Herbert. So, yes, certainly. If the, if the Broncos get Aaron Rodgers, it's an issue for the Raiders for four or five years. But I think if the Raiders were to make that trade, it has to be because of their own feelings. Got it. Bill Williamson's our guest. So let's talk about this roster. And I, I was with Mike Mayock on Monday, and he did a deep dive with me on this with some season ticket holders. And I was impressed with how he included Gus Bradley in the conversation with the players because Gus is going to teach him. He's going to evaluate him, and he's got to get him to upgrade. He's tight with Ngakwe when he was the head coach at Jacksonville. That's a lock. He feels like he can put him out there, and he could be a disruptor. Then he brought in Casey Hayward. When you examine that move with Hayward and how much he has left, a two-time Pro Bowler in the system with Coach Milius coming over too, who's worked with him, how happy are you with Hayward as an instant starter at one of the cornerback positions to stabilize the secondary? Well, it depends if, if if he's going to be the instant starter and Arnett is going to improve and be able to play when he needs to. Because if 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 Hayward, who probably is not here for a one-year deal, mm. be here one, maybe going back for another year, but he's towards the end, so it's going to be short-term. If he starts and Arnett doesn't get better, what, what's I don't know if there's a great greater gain there. You know, I I think again there's at some of these positions. They, they really, the Raiders really have to give everything to their youth because they have so much invested. And we, we, know, we know that we talk about the investments at receiver, the, the investment at cornerback and 
safety is, is greater in a lot of ways. So I, I'd hate to get, see a guy flush or, or they're giving up on him or they lost confidence in him. I, I don't know if that I don't know if the Hayward signing signals that. I think they needed a veteran. I mean, they, you know, there's a lot of Richard Sherman talk. Hayward was available. They got through the draft. They, they, they filled the draft that they wanted to, and they added a, a young corner as well. And that was kind of a, you know, kind of a an accompanying piece that they get done right after the draft. So I like it. Yeah, I just don't know if it's going to be. Um, this is our for sure starter. I don't. I, I think again, that's a little unfair. They, I think the Raiders have to let this thing play out in camp. Yeah, that's really interesting. Bill Williamson joins us. You know how much I respect your opinion. And the only thing I'll push back on with you on that is I think there's more of a sense of urgency to get a player like Hayward to start than develop Arnett. Because Arnett's going to be developed on the practice field. He's going to be developed in the preseason. He's got to be developed in games, which is very important. And he was a, a second, you know, he was a high a first-round pick because they didn't have a second-round pick. So at a minimum, he was a reach. At a minimum, he was a reach because we looked at his production last year, but he did have some injuries. So I like what you're saying, and you're the first guest to say that on my show this year, that there's a lot invested in these young guys. So even if they're not the best player, you're suggesting let them play and develop because of the money and the resources and the draft equity putting them. I don't know about that. I'm just suggesting they better be ready, and they do, yeah. and they owe it, the Raiders owe it to themselves to, to see if they are, not to give up on guys. And I, sometimes I, I, I look at some of these, and I'm taking it off topic a little bit, but I look at some of the draft picks this year compared to last year, and it almost looks like they drafted guys to replace guys who they took last year and the year before. I'm talking about Divine, Di- Di- Divine Diablo, who's similar to Tanner Muse, who was taken in the third round last year. Nate Hobbs is a guy who plays slot corner. Well, fourth round pick of Meek Robertson pick was fourth round pick the year before. Tyler Gillespie, who they seem to really like, he's a he's an insurance policy to uh, Jonathan Abram. I just don't know if doing this. I don't. I, if you keep doing that, I don't know if it, the the roster right. as a whole is going to grow. So I just hate to see. I, I just hope that's not the mindset of okay, this guy we screwed that up, so we got to replace him right away. You need, that's not going to work in the long run. Bill Williamson, yeah, I agree. You invested a lot of draft equity in some of these guys, and they're supposed to improve and get better, and it's COVID. You know, Bill, we, we've talked about this. It's COVID. Yep. Last year was a throwaway pretty much for everybody other than Brady and the Bucks, who won the title. Uh, wrapping this up, the offense is very explosive to begin with. The offensive line, now that we've had time to breathe with this and say goodbye to Rodney Hudson, Gabe Jackson, and Trent Brown, what are you hearing from insiders and your sources as you're talking to the confidence level that Gruden has in Tom Cable to have these players up and ready and proven in the preseason for that home opener against Baltimore? Yeah, you know, I think John Gruden has immense confidence in, in most of his coaches and particularly the coordinators and, and, and Cable. And I, I don't know if he, I don't know if there's guys he doesn't have, but you know, since he's been back, he's given a lot of leeway to a lot of coaches, including Gunther and, and these, and Vasella. these guys have had input in the roster additions. So I think he does believe in cable. I think that's one of the reasons why they're doing this. And, you know, free draft, Mike Mayock said a lot. He was pretty confident in his words 
uh, about the offensive lines. I think we, we, you know, get younger. That's obvious. I think we got, you know, more athletic. We got faster, and, and, and they think they can improve. So that's you know, he kind of put that on his arm, Mike Mayock. And if that doesn't work, people are going to bring that back at him, and that's fair too. So I think that's really the key to whether the Raiders are improved is this offensive line can quickly come together. Um, I think they need to stay healthy, of course, because I don't know, you know, there's, there's some backups that are now starters, and, you know, mm-hmm. talking about good, who would start last year because of injuries, but, you know, he's the starter now, and, and James, so these guys have to be good. And Because uh, when was Derek Carr at his very best last year? When he had great protection. And he really did, he was so comfortable and he did his thing, and, you know, the Derek Carr positives really come out when he has a lot of protection. And I think confidence is part of that as well. Um, so the Raiders need to have good, good uh, protection this year. Absolutely. Bill, good to talk to you. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Always appreciate your impact that you have on social media and all your columns. Thank you. Right. Hey, thank you, sir. Take care, everybody. You got it. Bill Williamson. Very good. 25 years covering the Raiders. Uh, one of the guys that we go to, one of our insiders, as we are relaunching the new insiders that we'll have on the show this year. Uh, Vic was very kind. Paul Gutierrez, who we have on often, very kind with his time. Fantastic. Vinny Bonsignor, Ed Graney, who covers the team. And we're going to be adding some new insiders this year as we're doing a lot. And I'm going to be doing a lot more inside the building on a special project with the Raiders and with the history of the Raiders that we're going to be talking about in months to come on the Raiders Podcasting Network. So get used to the Raiders Podcasting Network for content, because I tell you, there's some things that are being developed that are about as cool as I've heard in the building going back to Alameda. Mark Davis is investing a lot of money into the history of this franchise. From a video and podcast uh, history perspective, and I'm proud to be a part of it in a small way. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, way to go, Bobby. Way to put this show together. We kind of put together late. We had a couple of good guests join us in the second hour. Appreciate all of our listeners joining us. Tomorrow, Bobby's Choice. It's going to be our 25-year anniversary show because it started on Memorial Day, 1996. So tomorrow will be a fun look back on the show and what you've meant to me over the years. And we'll put that behind us, and then we'll head into Memorial Day weekend, recharge the batteries, a lot of good sports tonight. Taking my buddy down to Circa here right after the show to show him Stadium Swim and show him the great sports book there to show him the newest aspect of sports gaming in Vegas. Watch a little bit of the Knicks, and then I'm on tonight. Oh, quick reminder, Sirius XM, if you don't catch my show at night, you should, 7 to 10 p.m. on Mad Dog. Uh, the channel is free. Uh, from through Memorial Day into June 8th. So if you download the SiriusXM app, you can get Mad Dog Radio. Or if you have satellite radio, you can get it for free. I mean, the subscription is really cheap to begin with. And I like SiriusXM for music, comedy, news, and sports. And it's free right now. Activated free on a limited basis, trial basis, so you can check out what we do at night. All right. Beautiful day. I'm going to go enjoy some of it. There's going to be a lot of content at Raiders.com from OTAs today. And several of the players spoke. Uh, Vinny Bonsignor was there. You can catch Vinny at 4 o'clock. And then there'll be a lot of uh, the the sound posted. And we'll play that tomorrow when we cut it up. And we'll catch some highlights of some of the players. John Abram, Cleland Farrell, Max, who spoke today. And see what we have here tomorrow. 
but tomorrow's the 25-year anniversary show, and it all started for me in Vegas 25 years ago to the day tomorrow. Very lucky to have this opportunity, very blessed on Raider Nation Radio. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.